brothers who will join us shortly. May Allah bless you. Yes, sit, sit. Sit here in front of me. May Allah bless you, inshallah. Mashallah, mashallah. A few here. But please don't move so much when I speak. Yes, this is good, this is good, this is good. And can we have the brothers now sitting move forward on the chairs so that when others come, they can just take your seats. Move one row forward. Fill the gaps, move one, one row forward. This is enough, Amma, Amma. Because we are... <laughs> yeah, sit here, it's okay. I didn't know you guys loved me so much. Yes, try to fill the gaps, please, so that when others come, they grab their seats right away. Three loud salawats. Sallallahu alayka ya Rasulallah Sallallahu alayka ya alayka ya Sayyidi wa ya Mawlaya wa ibn Mawlaya ya Aba Abdullah يا رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة ويا كل مؤمن ومؤمنة ما 
خاب والله من تمسك بكم وأمنا من لجأ والتجأ إليكم يا ليتنا يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم وقوله الحق وهو أصدق الصادقين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإذا الموءودة سئلت بأي ذنب قتلت Sweet in your gathering go the remembrance of Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad As a gift to the soul of Sayyidina wa Mawlana Al-Imam Al-Hussein and his honorable companions recite the second salawat For Allah to shower onto this gathering with His infinite mercy and compassion and to hasten the reappearance of Sayyidina wa Mawlana Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman, recite the third salawat with the loudest of your voices. In one of the most desperate days in the history of the religion of Islam, when an army was approaching the holy city of Medina to annihilate every single Muslim, to put an end to the religion of Islam, to kill Rasulullah and his companions. Rasulullah stood to assemble an army. 
And he called on every single person capable and able to join him. A man came to Rasulullah saying, Ya Rasulullah, I've come to join you today. However, I am sad. I am sad because I left my mother crying at home. She's the only one I got. She's got no one else besides me. So when I left, my mother was crying. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to him, return to your mother. And just like you put her in tears, make sure that when you return, she's smiling. And you make her happy. For the reward that you will receive in being next to your mother, caring for your mother, is no less than the reward that you will receive and joining the last messenger of God in jihad. Then he says to him, O oh young man, and know that your mother is your heaven, and your mother is your hell. What does this mean? Meaning you can decide through your relationship with your mother, she's your heaven. You will enter heaven because of her. And she could also be your hellfire and the punishment of God. So you get to choose. This is your mother. She's your heaven or your hell. Then he said his most famous line. Al-jannatu tahta aqdamil ummahat. For heaven and paradise belongs to the feet of the mothers. Being a mother in Islam is something extremely precious. The womb of a mother is extremely sacred in Islam in the eyes of Allah. Allah in the Holy Quran says, that he's created man to be his most noble, dignified of creation. This insan is the best of God's creation and Allah chooses to place the best of his creation in a mother's womb. Being a mother is sacred in Islam. Being a mother it is, ex is, is an extremely weighty, lofty position in the eyes of God. And today, the institution of motherhood is being attacked. 
Today the world needs to be reminded. The entire world needs to be reminded of the importance of this institution, motherhood, childbearing, nurturing children, giving them the right upbringing, the importance of mothers in society. In this country that we live in, in the United States of America, nearly every single year, nearly every single year, one million women choose to abort their children. This precious gift from the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon them. And there's a crisis. And I find that people who believe in Allah and Rasulullah and the Holy Quran who are Muslim sometimes blindly siding with the pro-abortion movement. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if a mother, a pregnant mother, goes through a miscarriage, then this unborn child shows up in the Day of Judgment. And because this child is sinless, it's pure, goes and stands at the gates of paradise. Obviously, God offers paradise to this soul, to this unborn child, because it's sinless, it's pure. This unborn child, this fetus, goes and stands at the gate of Jannah, paradise, and says, Oh Allah, I will not enter. I will not enter. Why? I will not enter without my mother. My mother, who carried me, and because it is sinless, because it is pure, Allah accepts the intercession of this unborn child and grants the mother Jannah, grants the mother paradise. But the opposite also takes place on the Day of Judgment. On a day in which everything speaks with permission from Allah. Sometimes we're not given permission. We're silent. But what speaks? Our skin speaks. With the permission of Allah, our skin speaks. Our eyes will speak. Our feet, our legs, our limbs, our private parts, 
they will speak on our behalf. Why? Because we will deny a lot of things. I didn't do this. I didn't hear this. I didn't say this. I didn't perform this act. Allah says, you shall remain silent and your limbs will speak. On that day, even animals will speak. An animal that was taken wrongfully, treated badly, treated poorly, will come on the day of judgment. Oh Allah, this person treated me badly. My owner treated me poorly. Similarly, the unborn fetus or a born child that was put to death will also speak before God on the day of judgment. And this is mentioned within the Holy Quran, Surah At-Takweer. وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ When this child that was put to death asks on the day of judgment, وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ What crime had I committed? What have I done? What had I done to be put to death? And on that day, everyone involved will be held responsible. Everyone. They will be questioned. So some people might say, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you're making this such a big deal. Allah is Alhamdulillah Rahameen. Allah is so merciful, He's compassionate. Why are you making this such a big deal? Exactly because Allah is most merciful, most compassionate, He will hold us responsible. Because innocent lives are being destroyed. And I don't want to undermine the difficulties of pregnancy, especially some pregnancies. Some people are under the impression that no one, men are not even allowed to talk about abortion. Why? Because it's my body, my choice. I get to do whatever I want. What is Sayyid Jawad doing sitting on the minbar and speaking about something he has no clue about, which is pregnancy, something he'll never experience, inshallah. So he has no right to talk about this. Yes, in a godless society, that is true. In a godless society, that is absolutely accurate. But for us Muslims, those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is much different. Why? Because my body doesn't belong to me. Islam teaches me, inna lillah. We belong to Allah. That is why we cannot harm our bodies. That is why suicide is forbidden in the religion of Islam. Why? Inna lillah. Wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. And to Allah we shall return. And in the meantime we ought to take care of our bodies. Let alone if there is another soul that exists in your body. That is an aman of Allah bestowed onto you. And like I said, I don't want to undermine the difficulties of pregnancy, especially some pregnancies. Some people may not be ready for this child. 
Some people may have not planned this child. Some people may be afraid of poverty. Some people may be carrying a child out of wedlock. There's a lot of different issues that may come up. And the religion of Islam is understanding to them. Brothers, sisters, whether you are here or elsewhere, I want you to pay attention to my next few sentences. This is an extremely delicate and sensitive topic. So please don't stop listening at a certain point during this address. Whether you are completely pro-abortion, continue to listen. Be attentive. Pay attention. Or, no, you're completely pro-life. Completely against abortion. Also continue to listen. Because those are very sensitive topics. Don't leave this room. Don't leave this hall. Don't end watching this video saying, say it said abortion and Islam, completely haram. Or say it said abortion is allowed in Islam. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, after 14 years, after spending 14 years at the Islamic Hawza cemetery in, seminary in Qom, I have formed my own opinions. I do have my own opinions. But my opinions are irrelevant. I never share my personal opinions. I never tell you on religious matters that this is my opinion. Why? Because you ought to hear the opinion of the barajah, the fuqaha. And I sometimes bring the opinion of a variety of marajah. And some people come up and say, yes, we know. We know this is not your personal opinion. We know this is the opinion of the marajah, but we disagree with them. Tech you may agree or disagree, that is fine. But technically, technically, you really can't. Why? Because remember when the entire medical field was telling the world that we must be vaccinated? Every single one of our maraja were vaccinated. Because that wasn't their field of expertise. Experts in the medical field were telling them that you must be vaccinated. So they got vaccinated. Similarly, when it comes to matters of religion, we must also listen to the experts. See what they have to say. You know, I, I want to mention the story, and I really don't mean to mention it so that, you know, it becomes uh, a source of amusement for us. A few years ago, I happened to be in a community. And I spoke of the age of puberty of women. Is it nine? Or is it, you know, when they go through physical puberty like men? And I gave a variety of opinion of scholars from the time of Ghaybat al-Sughra, the minor occultation of Imam al-Mahdi, and until today, contemporary scholars who believe 
Men and women go through the same rules and regulations when it comes to puberty. If she goes through, physically goes through puberty, then, you know, she has to take care of all her wajibat and becomes mukallaf, is responsible. She becomes responsible. And I mentioned the name of the scholars. And I gave the reference. While others know, they say it's strictly nine years old. But we gave both opinions. During a Q&A, someone told me those exact words. But those maraji' I disagree with them. Their ruling is inaccurate. I said to him, how do you know, brother? He said, I just know. I said, okay. What do you do? He says, I own businesses. I said, oh, what kind of businesses? Said, I own many Dunkin' Donuts. I said to him, brother, has the marja ever told you how to cook your donuts? How to sell your donuts? Did he interfere in the price of your donuts, 99 cents versus 76 cents? This is not something up for debate. This person has spent his whole life researching this topic. This person looks at all the ayat, all the ahadith, the chain of narrators, uses usul al-fiqh, Islamic legal theory, and draws a fatwa. And he is responsible in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this fatwa. And today, I also hear another wave of sentiments. And I want to address this tonight as well. In the season of Muharram, and the season of Ashura, we must focus on the tragedy of Imam al-Husayn. Only shed tears for Imam al-Husayn. Talk about the calamities that befell Imam al-Husayn. Such topics, abortion being one of them, is irrelevant in Ashura. Talk about this in Muharram. Talk about this in Ramadan. Talk about this in a different season. Talk about this in a seminar. Talk about this in a, in a conference. But not in the first 10 nights of Muharram. The first 10 nights of Muharram should only be dedicated to shedding tears for Imam al-Husayn. And I understand the passion and the love that those people have for Imam al-Husayn. And I respect their opinion. But I beg to differ. Why? You know who took the very first member after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam died? After Rasulullah departed this dunya, who was the very first person who took the member? Who spoke? Who came to illuminate the minds of the mu'mineen? History records outside the school of Ahlul Bayt that's when Fatima to Zahra received the news about Fadak. She was surrounded by women of Bani Hashim, her followers, her family, her support system. She said, Bring me my attire. 
When she got fully dressed, she stood up. She left her home and she walked into the masjid of Rasulullah. Listen. The Muslimin, when they saw Fatima walk into the masjid of Rasulullah, this is what they say. Her walk resembled the walk of Rasulullah. Her gestures reminded us of her father Rasulullah who had just passed away. So just by seeing her, they were in tears. They were crying. Then she came and she stood and she gave a sermon, a prolonged sermon, a long sermon, known as Khutbat Fadak or Al Khutbah Al Fadakiyah. There she could have just came and said, Abu Bakr, who are you to take Fadak away from me? Fadak was given to me during the life of my father. Fadak belongs to me, give it back to me. But go and read Khutbat Fadak. A small portion of it speaks of Fadak, small portion. The majority, she talks about Tawheed, she talks about Nubuwa, she talks about the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she talks about Qiyamah. She talks about the wilaya of Al-Muhammad, the authority given by Allah to Rasulullah and his family and his progeny. Why is it that we must have imams? How are imams appointed? She talks about hajj, she talks about salah, she talks about siyam, then she alludes to fadak. This is what we learn. Fatima al-Zahra is our role model. And today... There are many people, if not every single one of us, you go to school and you wonder, should I be pro-life? Should I stand against abortion? Or should I be fully in support of abortion? And people get passionate about things because they see the whole school, they're talking about it and they're wearing different t-shirts and they're using different hashtags and social media is buzzing and... And they kind of join different sides. But they're also, I believe, especially this young generation, this beautiful generation, is also waiting to hear what Allah has to say about this. What should I do? And if I tell him that, listen, this is the opinion of the Quran, this is what you ought to do, then they'll have clarity. So we cannot continue to ignore such topics. We cannot call them irrelevant. In fact, many verses in the Quran speak of abortion. Many verses in the Quran speak of those who used to bury their children alive because this was a trend then. And inshallah, I'll allude to some of the verses that are relevant to our topic. Why? Because this was what was happening in that era when the Quran was revealed. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, if the Qur'an was revealed in 2020, there will be many verses about COVID. If the Qur'an was revealed in 2021, there will be many verses about mental health. If the Qur'an was revealed in 2022, there will be many verses about abortion. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam, when he left this, when he was speaking for the very last time to the entire Muslim community, he says, I've left amongst you two weighty things. Kitab Allah, the book of Allah, wa'atrati al-bayti. 
I'm leaving amongst you the book of Allah and my family and my progeny. ما أن تمسكتم بهما لن تضلوا بعدي أبدا. Hold on to them together, not separately, together. And you shall never be misguided. And Imam Ali, when he talks about the Quran, what does he say? He says the Quran is as fresh, as meaningful, as insightful. Please pay attention to this, please. For the very last of us, as it were for the very first of us. So remember when you hear stories about Muslims who just heard the Quran, they heard Rasulullah reading the Quran and they came and they embraced the religion of Islam because it was so meaningful, it was so powerful, it was so mesmerizing. Imam Ali says it will be like that for the very last of us, meaning the Quran has the solutions. The Quran answers the questions. The problem is we don't know how to look for the answers within the Quran. And then he says, the equivalent of the Quran are my Ahlul Bayt. So through the hadiths of Ahlul Bayt, through the actions of Ahlul Bayt, through the stories of Ahlul Bayt, we will be able to find solutions to every problem. An answer to every question. And that should be the job of this member. This member, once it's asked, it must give the most complete and eloquent response. And I don't want to take much of your time tonight. We're approaching the nights of Aza. So I'll make it very short. Number one, why do the majority of people get an abortion? And number two, when is abortion allowed in, in the religion of Islam? Let us examine this topic after your three loud salawats ala Muhammadin wa Ali Muhammad. Nearly 20%, nearly 20% of pregnancies in America end with abortion. That is a staggering number. That is unbelievable. Like I said, annually 1 million children, 1 million unborn fetuses, are aborted in this country. Just the United States alone. And CNN makes it seem like it's all because of it's, 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 uh, it's instances of rape. And if you don't stand in solidarity with those people, then you're some cruel individual. You don't have, you know, you don't understand. But only statistics show us that only 1.5, less than 2%, of abortions that happen in this country are actually due to instances of rape. 
of women in New York City, this is awful, 35% of women in New York City annually abort their children, abort their fetuses, abort their fetuses. 35%. In some communities in New York City, I don't want to mention the community, in some communities... In the past few years, there have been more abortions than birth. More abortions than birth. So why do people do that? How is it justifiable? I said there are many reasons. One of them, one of them, one of the reasons is because women, some women are running away from irresponsible men. Just a few weeks ago, I spoke to a sister who was telling me, I need to abort my child. I told her why. She says, I have six children. My husband's jobless. He doesn't work. He sleeps until noon. He's irresponsible. I cannot take care of those children. I work. I'm the breadwinner of the house. And I cannot, I simply cannot go to work while being pregnant. It's going to jeopardize everything else for the six children who are living in my home. And sometimes, no. It's because this society has made it seem like women should take every role in society that men have assumed. And nothing should stop them. But pregnancy sometimes comes between their goals, their objectives, their achievements, and taking and assuming the roles of men in society. So I cannot be responsible for this child. I don't want this child. You know why this is happening? I'll tell you why. It's very simple. Let's not make it complicated. It's because this society has not appreciated the role of mothers. In fact, a mother should be paid by this government that spends so much money elsewhere on things that should not be so important and are not important. And they should pay women as soon as they are pregnant, till, till the time they deliver and, and after they give birth and take care of their children. This is the responsibility of a healthy society. If women were given the importance that they ought to have, the position in society, honored the way they should, then they would understand that this is the most important role. God, He created men and women. Why did he give the responsibility of childbearing to women and not men? Because he's the creator of men and women. Men will not be able to handle this responsibility. This is a great responsibility. And that is why Rasulullah says, Al-Jannatu tahta aqdam al-ummat. 
because they are willing to be patient. It, it disturbs the whole body of a woman through pregnancy. And even after child labor. And Allah refers to this in the Holy Quran. That she carried him in pain and delivered him in pain. Imam Zainul Abideen. If you want to know the value of a mother in an Islamic society in the eyes of God, go to Risalat al Hukuk Imam Zainul Abideen, the fourth Imam. He says, Wa ummik. You want to know the right of your mother? She carried you in pain, she delivered you in pain. She was willing to go through thirst to quench you. She was willing to go through every kind of pain so that she can put you in ease. For nine months she carried you. She was not comfortable in her sleep. She was not comfortable when she walked. She was not comfortable when she was sitting. But she carried you with love. Then Imam Zayn al-Abidin says, you can never repay your mother. So pray to Allah. Pray to Allah. There's a prayer that we all ought to make. Pray to Allah to give you the honor and the privilege of being able to seek your mother's happiness and satisfaction. If society looked at mothers in this way, an honored woman in this way, and took care of them financially, and told them that this task has been bestowed upon you from God, things would be differently. And Allah refers to the main reason, the main reason why people abort. Sometimes it's both, they are both in agreement, the husband and the wife, they're both in agreement, we're not ready for this child, let us abort. Why? Allah says in the Quran. We go to the Quran, Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse number 31. Do not kill your children. Why? Because you fear poverty. A lot of people, until today, and it's normal, we fear, you know, I, I, I would not be able to take care of this child. Financially, I am incapable. Allah responds to this in the Quran. We are the ones that take care of them. The rizq is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, not only children, not only children, but animals and plants will increase your rizq in your home. Pay attention to this. Animals, domesticated animals, your pets at home. How many of you have pets? Raise your hands. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, MashaAllah. Okay, put them down. You're all blessed. You know why? Because every day your pet speaks to Allah in prayer. Speaks to Allah in a dua. What does it say? It says, oh Allah, my owner is taking care of me. He's spending on me. 
He's looking after me. Oh Allah, look after him. Increase in his rizq. Bless him. Protect him. Protect his children. And their dua is tasbih. So it's accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's acknowledged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why one form of continual sadaqah is to have pets. Continual sadaqah. As you spend, it is considered sadaqah fi sabilillah. Now I know maybe some of the sisters, they'll be very upset with me tonight. Because, you know, her husband is going to go buy five, five roosters and throw them in the house. Even this plant, you know the reward, the reward in planting a tree? Until the day that this tree exists, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps cleansing your sins. And it continues to be sadaqah jariyah for you. Those are the rewards that we never hear about. In fact, we think, you know, animals are not even important in the religion of Islam. Animals are a source of blessing. Domesticated animals, pets, are a source of blessing upon the family and the household. And there are many. If you look at Kitab Bihar al-Anwar al-Alam al-Majlisi, Several volumes speak about animals and animal rights and pets and domesticated animals. They come with their own rizq. Allah says that this pet, this tree, whatever it is in your home, you're not responsible for it. If you bring it in your life, I will give you the rizq so that you can spend on this animal. They come with their own rizq. And some pets and some domesticated animals actually increase in your rizq. Probably the more messy ones, I assume. Now imagine this child that is your child, that is your flesh, that is your blood. Does he not come with his own rizq? Is Allah not going to increase in your rizq so that you can take care of your family and your children? Allah says yes in the Quran. He makes this promise. He says, I am responsible for them. Do not fear. Do not abort your child out of fear of poverty. Or wanting to achieve some worldly status. The greatest of women in history we're not the ones that became engineers and doctors and surgeons. I'm not saying they're not great. That's not what I'm saying. But the greatest of them were the ones that were able to offer us Qasim ibn al-Hasan. Ummul Banin who was able to offer us and humanity and society. Abbas. Abul Fadl Abbas. Fatumat al-Zahra. Al-Imam Hassan and Hussein and Sayyidah Zainab. Oh, the Sayyid, this is not achievable. What about the mother of Shaykh Al-Ansari? She was a normal mother. Her father, her, her, her husband was a normal man, an ordinary man. She said, I chose to be that mother 
who's going to have a very special child. So I never nursed my son without wudu. I never slept during Salat al-Fajr while I was carrying this child. I prayed on time. I read the Quran every day because I knew the effects that it was going to have on my child. So in her last days, she could not see. She was very old. They told her, they came to her. They said to her, Hajja, do you know your son? He's become Shaykh Al-A'zam, Shaykh Al-Ansari. She says, I am not surprised. I trained him the way I took care of him. I expected Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, Salman, Al-Miqdad, Ammar. He became Sheikh Al-Ansari, Sheikh Al-Azam. Now, there are instances, and I want to say this. Buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I want to say this. There are instances in Islam where abortion is allowed. And if a woman aborts in those instances due to those reasons, she should not be shamed. And she should not feel with guilt for the rest of her life. And she should not carry this as a sin. What are those instances? Number one, before, before, pay attention, before the fourth month, if, number one, it brings danger to her health. It is dangerous for her health to carry this child. She is allowed, not asked, not encouraged, there's a difference, to abort. Or if it brings unbearing difficulty and pain in her life. And her life becomes intolerable. I, I think you understand what I mean. By the way, this has nothing to do with the man. The man is out of the formula. The man comes and says, this is unbearing for me. This is... Shameful for me, I cannot do this, I have children, I have a family, I have a wife, I have commitments. It's none of your, that's it. This is now out of your control. This is now her responsibility and her choice and her decision. And if she decides she's going to keep it, you need to man up. And be responsible for what you have done. And support her through the way. So two things. Number one, it becomes extremely difficult for her to bear the child. Her life basically becomes miserable in other ways, in other words. Number two, it is dangerous for her to keep the child physically. She may die. If the doctors tell her, not she thinks, if the doctors tell her that this is the case, before the fourth month, the most popular opinion amongst our ulama is they are allowed to have an abortion. She is allowed to have an abortion. What about after the fourth month? Is it still allowed? We have a variety of opinions. Number one, 
What, see, I have decided I cannot bring names, but afterwards I can give you the names. The, one of our maraji' says no, you cannot. After the fourth month, absolutely not. One opinion, amongst the four opinions. So one opinion says no. Why? Because who are you to choose the life of the mother over the life of this child? They're both lives. You cannot choose the life of the mother over the life of this baby. Now it has a soul. Now it's moving. You cannot do that. That's the first opinion. Right? The second opinion is that if you can save the life of the mother, meaning if the baby stays, the life of the mother is in danger. And by aborting, if you save the life of the mother, again, you are allowed to do that. Not you must do that, you are allowed to do that. Third opinion says that if after the fourth month it creates unbearable pain and her life and her lifestyle also creates mental health. This alam has added mental health to physical health. It may be allowed. And last opinion is also that after the fourth month, it may be allowed under more restricted regulations and rules. But in all those circumstances, a blood money must be paid. And an istighfar must be made. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, this topic, it may seem, it may seem like not the most relevant topic in the lives of people. But I tell you, it is because we do not know. It's not something people are going to publicize on. It's not something that people are going to announce. And it is relevant to many people. And we are fallible. And we make mistakes. And before I conclude, I want to say this. Tomorrow, I've talked about many topics, right? Tomorrow, I want to dedicate tomorrow to forgiveness. And that is why we have gathered in those nine nights. So that we can arrive at this final station. How to seek the forgiveness of Allah. How to knock at the door of His mercy and compassion. And I want you to come tomorrow ready. Ready to use Imam Al-Hussein, this Ark of Salvation. Safinatun Najat and make your way towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah, forgiveness, and his maghfirah. And tonight, brothers and sisters, belongs to a young man, a noble man. On a night like this, remind ourselves of the son of Imam Al-Hasan Al-Mujtaba, Qasim ibn Al-Hasan. The nephew of Imam al Hussein, a young man. Traditions say he had not gone through full puberty. He comes to his uncle, Al Imam al Hussein, 
after Aliyun al-Akbar and a few of Bani Hashim have gone, he comes and he stands in front of the tent of Aba Abdullah al-Husayn. He says, Ya Aba Abdullah, oh my uncle, can I come in? So Imam al-Husayn, as soon as he heard the voice of Qasim, he told him, Ya Qasim, please come. He hugged him and they cried. And he told him, Qasim, I cannot let you go. You remind me of my brother Hassan. Because Qasim grew up at the house of Imam al-Husayn. I'm meant to take care of you. I cannot send you to the enemies. You have done enough, my nephew. Go back. So he goes back to his mother. His mother says to him, take this letter to your uncle Hussein. Show him this letter. Qasim comes back to Imam al-Husayn. He says, Ya Am, Ya Aba Abdullah, I want you to take a look at this letter. What did the letter read? To my dearest brother Hussein, there will be a day where you will be left all alone without any aid and support. Bila nasrin wala mu'een. Some, when I've said this, I said some of the family of Imam al Hussein ignored his cries, ignored his letters, ignored his calling. Some people think I'm referring to Abbas and his brothers. No, by family I mean the tribe of Imam al Hussein, his clan, his tribe. So Imam Hassan says, some of the family and friends will neglect you. Few will be with you. On that day, I'm not there to take care of you, Ya Aba Abdullah. I'm not there to aid you. But accept my son to go before you on the day of Ashura. In that moment, Qasim was also carrying the amama of his father, Imam Hassan. So Imam Hussein put the amama of his father on his head. And he told him, Bunayya Qasim, my son Qasim, my beloved, How do you find this death that you're approaching? Are you afraid? Are you nervous? He says to him, Ya Am fi nusratika wallah ahla min al To aid you and to support you, by God, it is sweeter than honey. Let us take the hearts and the souls to Karbala. Only a few nights left. Let us go to Imam al Hussein all the way from here, brothers and sisters. Ya Sayyidana wa Maulana inna tawajjahna Let's start again, brothers, sisters. Few nights left in Muharram. Are you not the lovers of Hussein? Are you not the lovers of Hussein? Ya Sayyidana wa Maulana Inna tawajjahna وَاسْتَشْفَعْنَا وَتَوَسَّلْنَا بِكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ 
وقدمناك بين يدي حاجاتنا يا وجيعا I don't want to see anybody that's not uttering those words. Men, women, brothers, sisters, wherever you are. One more, One more for something, something extremely, extremely precious, precious. Extremely, extremely precious, precious. More, important more important than anything else, else. for us to have pure intentions when we come to Imam al-Hussein. We say to him, Ya Abu Abdullah, we want you to take care of our intentions so that we only and only and only come to serve you, nothing else. Oh Allah, purify our intentions in the khidmah of Imam al-Hussein. Because this is how the servants of Imam al-Hussein were selected. Those who stood with him, the 72, they were at the peak of Iman and the purest of intentions. Those who made it to Imam al-Hussein on the 10th of Muharram, they had this quality. We tell him, Ya Aba Abdullah, it's not something easy, but we want you to help us with this. So one so more one time, more the lovers of Hussein, those who want to have pure intentions in the khidmah of Imam al-Hussein, so that this khidmah increases within your life and you're given more opportunities. Ya He came out of the tents in ten if you have the lines memorized, I want you to raise your voice, especially the youth with Qasim. All of us together in ten Allah 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 if you don't know who I am, I'll tell you who I am. I am the son of Hassan, the grandson of Rasulullah. What does he say next? Hadal Hussein. 
سير المرتهن بين اناس لاصقون صوب المزون and he's all alone this Hussein he's all alone on the 10th of Muharram I am here to defend him he went and he fought bravely then what happened brothers and sisters Allahu Akbar Qasim stood to fix his sandals a man came and he said Wallah I will make my his uncle weep for him he took an iron pole and he hit Qasim on the back of his head Qasim shouted out Ya Allah Ya Aba Abdullah Alayka minni salam Imam Al-Hussein came to him Fajaa ilayhi Al-Hussein Kassakr Al-Munqad Waqal Bu'dan liqawmin qataluk He reached to him he tried to save Qasim, but Qasim was in his last moments. He says to him, Qasim, I've come to you, but I cannot help you. I cannot protect you anymore. He took Qasim and took him back to the tents of the woman. They came out of the tent looking at the body of Qasim. Aywa walada. Sayyidah Zainab shouted out Wa Qasima Wa Maghluma All of us together Wa Husayna Wa Maghluma Now brothers and sisters All of us together like we do every night Remember the pure intentions Labbaika ya Hussain Labbaika ya Labbaika ya Hussain Labbaika ya Hussain Labbaika with Qasim, with Sayyidah Zainab, with Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman tonight, brothers and sisters, release your voice all the way to Karbala. Give him your allegiance. Labbaika ya Hussain. Labbaika ya Inshallah, brothers and sisters, we're going to have a tashbih for you, uh, presentation. If I can ask the brothers here, please just uh, move toward the floor if you don't mind, because the uh, actor is going to come over here, inshallah. Move toward the floor, and inshallah, we'll continue the program. Salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Brothers and sisters, there is a reenactment of Qasim. Yes, just try to be seated right off the stage and don't forget that we have a Q&A as well tonight at 9.45, inshallah. Remain seated for the Aza and inshallah the, the reenactment of Qasim. Inshallah, before the reenactment, where we'll see inshallah something very heartbreaking related to Qasim, for those of you who are staying,
I want to recite a poem directed to my young brother sitting over here. Those of you who are in the crowd who match the age of Al Qasim, alayhi salam. Al Qasim, as you know very well, was no older than maybe eight, nine years old, young man. And yet he knew more about what the world wanted from him and what Allah wanted from him and what he was meant to do than the rest of the people on the planet. I want you, my young brothers, to take Al Qasim السلام, as your hero, take him as your leader. Al Qasim, he has a message for the Shabab, for the youth. He says, Oh youth, hear me. My tragedy, when you mourn and you remember, hear my story, hear my glory, and help me live forever. Because on that day, my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. Oh youth, when you recall me and for me you weep, the lessons of my story in your tears keep. I saw my uncle alone and I could not sleep. I tell you the tears that I saw Hussein shed, angels would sweep. Feeling guilty, my mother saw me take Hassan's armor and shield. She cried for me. None could make me throw down my sword and yield. I told my mother, please let me leave this tent and my death attain. On that day, my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. Oh, youth, know that by two names I was left in awe. I'm young, but I can't explain the things that I saw. For years, for a man named Ali, I would see their tears pour. The pride of this name, I would see that every man wore. I saw a pride that never died. We were the sons of Ali, and in all of us, they all loved us. And this every day I would see, a promise that lived inside me, a pride that my actions would maintain. On that day, my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. I was young when they killed my father, Hassan. I was young when they killed my father Hassan. Every eye would look at me like an orphan, all alone, and came to wipe my head one man. That man was Hussein. Now he's all alone, and help him I can. When I was young, to me he would come, and he would become like my father. What has become? Now he has no one, and he's alone, calling for a helper. What kind of son would Qasim be? If all alone he would remain. On that day my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. I lived my life in my grandfather's shadow. For my morals, my love for Ali they would know. On that day Ali's words to the world I would show. When he says yesterday is gone and uncertain is tomorrow. He would say work within this world. He would say as if you live forever. And as if you'll die tomorrow, work toward the hereafter. Today's my day, I'll work for me to be known as Qasim the slain. On that day, my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. I saw that my uncle had a love for Ali so grand. Just for being his son, we were led to this land. All of his sons, the name Ali on their hearts he would band. And he said he would name all of them Ali if he had a thousand. I saw Hussein, he loved this name. And it 
left my uncle entranced, a young lion, I embraced him, and with this great name I pounced, Ali's zeal flowed within me, I would make the enemy's blood rain. On that day my uncle taught me to live like Ali and die like Hussein. My grandfather of this day, he was well aware. He knew who would die for Hussein, and how and where. If he is watching, then how into life can I stare? How can I live if he wanted me killed here? I left my tent. I left my tent. My mother would lament, and by her cries to war I am led. Her tears, they drip down my wedding ground, and to her nightmares I have fed. If fate really wanted me to marry, then I would not have seen Karbala's plain. I cry out, pretending that my voice was like thunder. I cry out, pretending that my voice was like thunder, saying I am the hero of Uhud and Badr. I pretend that I was the road one struck on Qadr. So young, but I still wanted to be like Haydar. So young, and yet still they feared me. I hope that my grandfather is proud. I imagined that I was Ali, leaving in all Badr's crowd. Ali, you are the father of dust. Accept me as one of its grains. O youth, O Shabab, on that day, I learned many lessons. And because of it, my name in the hearts, it still glistens. When they realized that I was one of Hassan's orphans, their sword called out my name, and death it still listens. Swords cut through me. Swords cut through me, death embraced me, arrows at me, they would propel. I was murdered and massacred, and I learned this from my uncle. And perhaps Hussein learned from me, because his throat was cut from vein to vein. Perhaps Hussein learned from me, because his throat was cut from vein to vein. On that day, my uncle taught me, to live like Ali and die like Hussein. Shall we have a small uh, performance for you? Inshallah. Hussein has found the small body of Qasim 
There is a line from the maktal, Wallah, it breaks my heart every single time. It's a very simple line. But it says, after the enemies killed Al-Qasim, what did they do to him? They dragged his small body on the ground from left to right. Imagine, such a young boy who couldn't even lift his sword up and they killed him in this way. After Hussain salam finds his body, there is still someone who is wondering what happened to her beloved son Al-Qasim. Ramla is in the tents saying, where has my son gone? Where has my son gone? No more do I see your light. And in your absence, even the day it turns to night. And when I awake, I search for my moon. But you have left me, and even the day it turns to night. As the night falls, it engulfs me, and my heart is gripped by sorrow. I wrestle with my son's absence until from my eyes my tears flow. Do they not know what they have done of my Qasim? Do they not know? Do they not know how good he was? How in innocence he would glow? Tough, my Qasim, you were still young. But now as we leave here, a man you have now become. I wanted to see my beloved grow. I wanted to see my son become like a reflection of his father. Now I am left with no Hassan and left with no Qasim either. What kind of cruel world is this world? They rejoice in the hereafter, leaving me here alone to lament a husbandless, sonless mother. Qasim, you saw your uncle crying out for help left alone. And you dressed in your armor with your helmet like a golden dome. You go to your death and I am so proud. But you have left me here. And even the day turns to night. You saw your uncle all alone. You saw your uncle all alone. Crying, can anyone help me? You said, if I do not stand up, I am no grandson of Ali. So you asked for Hassan's helmet to get his sword and shield ready. I watched you as you left the tents and Hassan's sword you struggled to carry. I dreamed of the day that my beloved gets married and not of this day when a sword your hands carry. It drags on the ground so full of beauty but you have left me even the day turns to night. After I searched for you, she says, and I searched far and wide, your father's old helmet I found. But when I found it on the head of my beloved, my head in sorrow I would pound. For I found it on your body, being dragged across the ground, as the enemy themselves laughed at you. And from your throat, there was not a single sound. Hussein brought your body, and your arms, they hang down from his arms. Hussein brought your body and your arms, they hung down from his arms. Instead of henna, I saw blood was dripping from your palms. I'd light a candle to honor your stand, but you have left me, even the day turns to night. Where has my son gone? Where has my son gone? No more do I see your light. And in your absence, oh my beloved, even the day turns to night. And when I awake, I search for my moon, but you have left me, and even the day turns to night. But you have left me, and even the day turns to night. Assalamu alaikum ya Mawlai, ya Qasim al-Hasan.
الرحمن الرحيم اللهم كن لوليك الحجة ابن الحسن صلواتك عليه وعلى آبائه في هذه الساعة وفي كل ساعة وليا وحافظا وقائدا وناصرا ودليلا حتى تسكنه برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين وإلى أرواح المؤمنين والمؤمنات الفاتحة مع الصلوات Reminder, we will have a Q&A session with Samaha Tassayid Jawad Khazwini at 9.45 p.m. tonight at Elite Total Sports. It's located 